Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. Man, I just want to declare to whoever's listening, wherever you find yourself, whatever city, state, country, nation you are gathering from this weekend, can I just say that you've gathered in a place, even if it's in the confines of your own home, where you have the opportunity to have your life significantly changed on the deepest parts of you forever. It doesn't matter how difficult the chains might feel, God can break those chains. It is not the presence of a building that changes your life, it's the presence of God that's gonna change your life. And so I'm super pumped. I got energy, drink in my veins, and a fire in my belly. Guys, can you just help me welcome everybody at our Denver-based locations, Littleton, Arvada, Lakewood, Park Meadows, way over the pond at Brussels, Belgium, and the other country of Austin, Texas, and make some serious noise for our men and women watching around the U.S. at God Behind Bars. We love you guys so, so much, so much. I'm fired up this weekend. You can be seated, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll. I'm gonna roll. I, uh, I preached a message a few weekends ago called Kill the Scoreboard, and I hope it was a benefit to you, but as I wrapped that thing up at the very end, I talked about the ambitions of our lives and how if the ambition is ill-directed and, and improperly fueled, it will just cause burnout and death in your soul. It will make you exhausted and tired. But I, I finished it by saying, however, if you are led by the Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, he says that will only produce life and peace in you. Now that's true, but there's a lot of people I know that when they hear that, they go, what does it actually mean to be led by the Spirit? Now there's, whether you knew this or not, there's 45,000 different Christian denominations worldwide. When you even use the word spirit with 10 people, you'll probably get 15 different answers from those 10 people on what the spirit is, what it means to be led by the spirit. And so my goal isn't to tackle all of the tension points. My, my goal is to emphasize throughout the whole of scripture the importance of the spirit of God in the life of a Jesus follower. Um, it, it can't be removed. You cannot do it separate and apart from it. You need, you require, you absolutely have to have the Spirit of God working in and through your life. But I got a lot of questions after my last message going, man, I, I know that and I want it, but how do I get it? And I'm so glad you asked because you partnered with me in writing this message this weekend. I want to I wanna talk to you this weekend about what it looks like to be led, fueled, and powered by the Spirit of God. And this was so important from 
literally page one of scripture all the way to the very end of scripture, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, interweaves himself throughout the entire narrative of scripture. And when the story comes to the time where Jesus is about to depart, he's about to say peace to his followers, to his disciples, to people closest to him. This was his final challenge. As they're panicking, they're worried, they're going, don't leave us. He, he, he charges them in this way. John 16, 7, it says, but I tell you the truth. I wonder, do we trust him? He says, it is to your advantage, lean to your neighbor and say, my advantage that I am leaving you. Jesus says, listen, it's actually to your advantage that I leave you. And he says, for if I do not leave, the helper, referring to the spirit of God, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Friends, can I tell you today that because Jesus left and because Jesus is not a liar, when he departed, it was to our great advantage, everybody that follows Jesus Christ, that he left because he sent another who will never leave us, who is always by our side. The Bible says he is before us, behind us, surrounding us. He is motivating us. He is pushing us on towards the goal of the calling of our high prize and our call in Jesus Christ. He will sustain you. He will motivate you. He will speak to you. He will comfort you. He will heal you. All of these things are available in the spirit of God. I just wonder, do we know what it means to be led by the spirit? If you're sitting next to somebody that you slightly enjoy, maybe they used a breath mint. I'm going to give you a chance to communicate with them. Lean to your neighbor and tell them the title of my sermon this weekend. The title of my sermon is this. Say, neighbor... I have the advantage. I have the advantage. God, we just come before you today. Lord, the power of the Spirit is that he helps illuminate to us things in which we do not know. God, your scriptures can be difficult, but the Bible says that, 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 that the Spirit of God will illuminate things and make things clear and true and right. And God, the goal of the Spirit is to point us back to Jesus. And so, God, I just pray today, Lord, if people don't leave understanding anything to a different capacity, God, I pray they would leave looking to Jesus. God, give us a bigger view of who you are. Give us a grander picture of who you are. God, I pray, enlarge our picture of your power. Enlarge, God, the desire for you to lead us. God, enlarge the goal of our hearts for you to produce fruit in and through our lives and for us to get out of the way and let you do the leading, let you do the pioneering, let you do the fruit producing, and let you be our power on our behalf. And so I declare that truth over every person. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds, give us clarity and focus because this is too important, God, for us to leave here the same way. And so with great expectation, I say break every chain, right every wrong preconceived notion we have in our mind, and God, enlarge the picture of who you are. Help us to just see you as you are. We don't need to embellish you. We just need to embrace you. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everybody at Red Rocks Church said... Amen, amen, amen. As I was thinking about this message this week, I was reminded of a story about, I don't know, nine or so years ago, eight or so years ago, my wife and I moved to Denver, Colorado, and we, we started working in the marketplace, and I, I've had this dream since I was a young kid. I'm not really a car guy. I actually just taught myself how to change oil for the first time, like literally a month ago. I'm not a car guy, but I've always wanted a Porsche, always wanted one. 
Um, and so when we moved to, Den to Denver for the very first time, finally got like a career going and doing some stuff. And it was my first time ever that I was like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shop for my dream car. So I got on Craigslist like every luxury car buyer does. And I, I, I got on Craigslist and I started looking. That was like my nightly routine. I'm like, I'm gonna find this thing, come hell or high water. Like nothing is gonna stand in my way. I'm gonna find this thing. And so I finally found one. There was this gorgeous black Porsche, the Porsche of my dreams. And, and it was in my price point, which was not consistent for most of the cars I was looking at. And it was in Larkspur, Colorado, which anybody from Castle Rock or down south makes some noise, Park Meadows campus. And I went down south to Larkspur, showed up to this guy's house, and he looked a little disheveled, I'm not going to lie. And uh, actually, when I remember it, I remember him with like a strong southern accent, but that wasn't the case at all. He didn't actually have that, but it's just the, the aura that he exuded. And so I went to his house, pulled up to the pole barn, he, he opened up these big sliding doors, and he said, there she is. And she looked good. She looked really good. What was the difficult part was, is the Craigslist ad didn't have a whole lot of description. It said, engine works, come and see. <laughs> so I'm like, this must be my car. So I show up, and the first words out of this guy's mouth, he didn't have a southern accent, but just go with me, people. He's like, yeah, engine works pretty good. Transmission don't. And so I was sitting there going like, you got to be kidding me. I just drove to Larkspur. I have no need to go to Larkspur. I'm here for a car. You could have just put that in the description and I wouldn't have come down here. Engine works, but the transmission don't. And you don't have to be a car person to know if your transmission doesn't work, it's a bad day. The reason that it's a bad day is you could have a car full of performance, but it is the transmission that takes the performance and produces spinning of the wheels, movement, momentum, forward progress. And as I was thinking about this story, I chuckled, recollected this man with the Southern accent, though he did not have one. And I just began to think about, man, really throughout scripture, the way that the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God is spoken about is the Spirit of God is like the transmission for you and I to get to the places we want to go, to achieve the things we want to achieve, to reach the goals that we have in our hearts, we cannot do it on our own, no matter how much performance, drive, ambition, discipline you have, you will always be left wanting. It's like turning the car on with no transmission. The engine is going to sound good. I got potential. I can do some things. This thing's got horsepower. It's got torque. I mean, the suspension is great. I can rip through the windy back roads. Like, this thing has so much potential, but the moment that you go to put it in gear and actualize its potential, you'll notice it won't go anywhere. And if you don't know what the problem is, you'll give it a little more gas. And then you'll give it a little more gas. And you'll give it a little more gas until something will happen on the inside of you you will burn out. The reason, friends, that this is so important for us is if you want to achieve anything of significance that will be worth of any value after you are dead and gone, it will require the Spirit's doing. It will require the Spirit's influence. It will require the Spirit's leading. And so the reason I want to preach this this weekend is because we're going to talk to thousands of people this weekend full of God-given potential. 
you feel like you have God-given potential. Some of you are going, I know I got it in me, but it's not, I'm not seeing it in my life. You're the one I'm preaching to this weekend. You have potential, and I came to tell you, you also have the advantage. I just wonder, do you know how to use it? I love what the, the Bible says in Galatians 5.22. It says this, and this is what we're all after. This is the ambition and the goal. Galatians 5.22 says, but the Holy Spirit, someone say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who produces this kind of fruit in our life. So look at the fruit, and it's the Holy Spirit that produces this. So if you ever craved this, wanted this, desire this, it ain't your job. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. He says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I promise you every desire of your heart, whether it has that word in it, will be directly rooted in finding one of these words for you. This is the soul's desire. This is the, the craving underneath the hood of every single human being. This is what makes the engine work. This is where fulfillment comes. But I wonder, are you seeing these fruits in your life? Because as I was thinking about this and as I was studying, here's the thing that's, that's super powerful. You can know that the Spirit produces this. You can know he's a counselor. You can know that he wants to lead you. You can know that he wants to empower you. The problem is, do you know how to actually make that work in your life? Do you, is this a transmission work, or do you just know it? Your heart is full of potential, but you're not seeing it when you hit the roads of life. I want to ask three questions that I get on a consistent basis. And the first one is this. How do I get his fruit in my life? Anybody ever ask that? It's good, Galatians 5, but how do I get that fruit in my life? How do I get his leading in my life? And then last, how do I get his power in my life? Anybody ever ask these questions? Anybody ever curious about this? Anybody hear a message and you're left wanting, how do I do this? I want to make this really simple, and we're going to nerd out for a second also, because the answer to these three questions is one answer. And I want to dive into it this weekend in a bit of an unconventional way, because here's what I did this week. I started opening up my scripture, and I was going, God, speak to me. And so I started reading every passage in scripture, and there are hundreds of them. It'll take you a little bit, that, that, that brings up the spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit in which God gives, the Holy Spirit, the divine spirit. Every time that the word spirit was brought up, I went through it all. And I said, God, I want to find the most significant moments in Scripture where this Holy Spirit did something profound, and I want to figure out why. Because here's the tension that we follow. Most of us think about the Holy Spirit as the kind of weird granola uncle from Boulder, Colorado, who does yoga and is all zen, and we can't really understand him. It's like, I have no idea what's going on in his brain and don't really want to know. The Bible says that we can know the Father, the Bible says that we can know the Son. Can I tell you this weekend, they are one in the same, their motives are the same, their heart is the same, they function from the very same Spirit. If you know the Father and you know the Son, you can know the Spirit. Can you exhale like, ah. 
I want to take some of the mysticism out. You can't take it all out, but I want to take some of it and make it really practical this weekend. And so as I was reading through the whole of Scripture, one of the first instances that jumped out at me was all the way back in Genesis. The Holy Spirit does some miraculous things, which will come out in another sermon. And then I, I got all the way to the New Testament and started to see the handiwork of the Spirit found in the resurrection of Jesus. And as I was reading it, it blew my stinking mind. So I wanna encourage you, take some notes, not because I'm like, oh, this is gonna be so amazing. I think that it will be, but I want you to hang on to some truths as we progress through this. We're gonna get a little heady, we're gonna get a little nerdy for a second, and then we're gonna get uber practical. And so if it's your first time in church, welcome, you're gonna enjoy this. If it's your thousandth time in church, you're gonna get a little meat and you're gonna enjoy this. But I wanna start by looking at a tension that I found. How many know it's good to find tension in the text? Find tension, wrestle with it. God's word is true. It is inerrant. There are no problems with it. The problem is what you got to figure out in here. Go through the struggle. Romans 8, 11. Cue the first tension. It's a verse we've all heard before, and it says this. Romans 8, 11 says that the spirit of God, watch what he did, who raised Jesus from the dead lives in Anybody who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, you can put your name in there. So he says, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead? This isn't a trick question. The Spirit. The Spirit Spirit did, right? Very clear. The Spirit of God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and then he connects it. Hey, and the same Spirit lives in you. The very same one. So I always read this and went like, yes, it's talking about the power. I got the power in me. It is true. You do have power, and he is powerful. But, but there's something so much deeper happening in the text, because as I was reading this, I was working my way through Romans, and I went, wait a second. I love this. I've heard this. I could have quoted this. But I read something else a few chapters earlier that seemed to contradict this. So we get a picture of the Holy Spirit working in power, and he says that same Spirit's in you. But look what it says in Romans 6, verse 4. It says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the... Wait. Both written by Paul. One says the Spirit raised him from the dead. The other says the glory raised him from the dead. (laughs) Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Did the Spirit raise Christ from the dead or did the glory of the Father? I want you to write that question down. Was it the Spirit or was it the glory of the Father? And I started reading this going like, it seems to be a contradiction. I know there's not a contradiction. There's just something I need to like figure out for myself. And so I began to pray, God, help me see what this is all about. And so I just started doing what I always do. I get a little nerdy, get out my Greek and Hebrew lexicon, start studying the words, figuring out the significance. And I want to tell you, this answer is so deeply connected and it will unpack things on such a practical level. If you want the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you have to understand the correlation of spirit and glory. Someone say spirit. Spirit. Someone say glory. Glory. These two words are like dance partners. And if you want to see the Holy Spirit work in your life, you got to understand what these two words mean. And so words are confusing. When I say spirit, I said it earlier, we're going to get thousands of different answers on what the spirit is. Let's take a look at what the author's intent was in telling us the word spirit. 
Let's get a little nerdy. You guys cool to get nerdy? Let's get nerdy. Let's get our nerd on. The word spirit in this passage, New Testament written in Greek, in the, in the Greek is the word pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. Pneuma. And it means the vital principle by which the body is animated. Now, this is the second definition in this Greek lexicon. The first one is he's part of the triune God, the very Holy Spirit himself. Then line number two says it is actually the vital principle by which the body is animated. Let me help you understand the work of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. The person, it is a person, the person of the Holy Spirit is the full embodiment of the vital principles that drive the actions in the heart of Jesus and the Father. So when Jesus said, guys, it's better that I go, you're gonna have an advantage, he went, I'm gonna send you the Spirit of God who is the fullness of the motivations. It's like the internal processor in a computer. What makes it work? Why it does what it does? I'm gonna put that same spirit in you so that as you live and work and lead and love, you'll be able to tap into the very vital principles and motivation that's found in the heart of God. Now, when he says this, that can start to unlock some things. It makes the Holy Spirit go, oh, if I've seen the Father, I know the Spirit. If I know how the Father works, if I know how Jesus worked, I can know how the Spirit of God wants to work in my life. Starts to build some confidence, but you can't necessarily understand it unless you know about glory. Somebody say, glory. So let's take a look at the word glory. Glory in the Greek is the word doxa. Somebody say doxa. Doxa, and the word glory actually means the opinion or the view. The opinion or the view. Now, it's kind of interesting. What do these have to do with one another? One is the opinion of the view, and one is the vital principle or the motivations behind the heart of God. How are these in tandem? I told you we're gonna get heady, nerdy. Stick with me because we're gonna get super practical in about 22 seconds. So if we could put those two verses back up found in Romans, let's talk about this for a second. The spirit meaning the vital principle that drives the heart of God in bodily form. The one who is the fullness of the passions of God, the thoughts of God, the desires of God, the actions of God in spirit form raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It was God's spirit. Now, if I can make the vital principle part connect just a little bit more, think of the vital principle, because we don't really use those words too much, at least most, I don't. I'll say I don't. I'm dumb. The vital principle speaks to the power of knowing, deciding, desiring, and acting. So the vital thing in the heart and the mind of God that leads him to act, think, desire, and believe in bodily form, that person raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and he goes, he also lives in you. And then it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. These are in perfect tandem. Let me tell you why. Camera crew, I'm gonna lay on the ground wearing a white shirt. Figure it out. We got it. 
So Jesus goes into the grave, goes to the cross. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy set before him? We'll get there in a second. Jesus had a vital driving belief. It was the same characteristics found in the heart of the Father and found in the Spirit. There were things that motivated him to do things differently that were compelled by the way that he is just naturally wired to believe and think and desire and be motivated. That sort of thing drove Jesus to the cross And the Bible says that the Spirit of God raised Christ from the dead, but it also says that the glory or the view and the opinion raised him from the dead. Still a little confusing. Can I ask you a question? Whose view and opinion of God is this referring to? It's referring to Jesus. The view and the opinion that Jesus had of his father is what raised him from the dead. Because Jesus knew the very spirit of God. He knew what motivated God to act. He knew God's heart, his desires, his intentions. So Jesus went to the grave with a glory or a view of God that lined up with the spirit of God. So when Jesus went to the grave, he goes, my God, my father is good. He is abounding in mercy. And even if I go to the grave carrying the fullness of the weight of the sin of the world, my God will restore me back to him. Friends, this is exactly, oh, what salvation is. I'm out of shape. I told you that, new kid. This is exactly what salvation is. Let's make this really simple. When we say put your belief in Jesus Christ, it it means have the opinion and the view that Jesus had of the Father, that even in your sin, God will forgive you, that there is absolutely nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love in the heart of the Father. Jesus goes, that's the spirit I had. That's what I believed. He's too good. He's too good to let me just die here. He's too good to just leave me here. I know his spirit and the glory I have about him, my opinion and my view lines up with his spirit. That's why the Bible says, if you ask anything in my name, it'll be done. Because God just goes, listen, if you can connect to my spirit, the thing that drives me and your view of me, connect, watch out. Your desires are going to be my desires. Your thoughts are going to be my thoughts. Your ways are going to be my ways. Friends, glory And spirit, though it's a little heady, are deeply, deeply, deeply connected. So why am I telling you this? Why did I get my white shirt all dirty? I don't know. I just got up here and did it. So I want to make this really, really clear. Glory. Michael Phelps has a certain glory. For us, we know he's a good swimmer, one of the best Olympians of all time. But for most of us, unless you're a swimmer freak, BZ, What's up? Unless you're a swimmer freak and you love swimming and you're into the sport, you probably don't know much more. And so his influence on your life is limited by your limited opinion and view of him. The glory I have about Michael Phelps doesn't impact me. Don't really care. Doesn't change me. Doesn't change the way that I think. Doesn't motivate me. Because relationship drives glory. 
Here's what I mean. Your relationship with somebody will drive your view and opinion of them. Glory can be both good and bad, but can I tell you, in Scripture, the glory of God is always good. So in relationship is where your glory is developed, where your opinion and your view of God is developed. The glory of God is always connected to honor and worship and celebration, but it only happens in the context of relationship. Let me make it a little bit more clear. About nine years ago, I started attending Red Rocks Church, sat in the Littleton campus right about there. I had a glory a view and an opinion of the senior pastor. Liked him a lot. He was, well, he was a good communicator, well-spoken, he was funny, he was authentic, and he knew the word. That was about all I knew about him. And then a couple years later, somehow, some way, through some vile deception, they brought me on to staff. My gr- relationship grew, and so my opinion and view of Sean Johnson expanded. I saw him in a new context. I saw not only is he a good communicator and funny and authentic and all these things, knew the word, but I also saw he's actually a really good leader of our staff. He's actually really loyal to the people closest to him. He seems to be a really great friend. I don't know that personally, but he seems to be a really great friend. I'm just getting to know him. A few years pass, and my glory develops even more. Now I'm friends I work closely, and what's happened in relationship is that my glory or my view and opinion of our senior pastor has developed, and here's what the big change is. When you first start having an opinion about somebody, it's all head knowledge. Good preacher. Knows the word. Authentic. Love that he shares his stories. Head knowledge. Now that I've been working with Sean closely, we don't just work together, we do life together. I eat at his house, I work out with him, I travel with him, we share hard conversations, I cry with him, I dream with him, like I pray with him. We're doing life together in relationship and what happens over time is now that I'm leading, I'm starting to realize I have to talk to Sean less and less. Because it's almost like I kind of know what he desires before he tells me. When I first started, he had to tell me everything he wanted me to do. Now I just kind of do it knowing what motivates him, knowing what his drivers are, knowing what his desires are, the desires for the staff, desires for our church. It's almost like his desires became mine and I can almost speak on his behalf, behave on his behalf. Do you know what that does for your life when you know the heart of someone? When I'm with Sean, I live at peace and I just lead. Friends, being led by the Spirit is the same way. What is gonna happen is initially, your glory, your view and opinion of God is gonna be pretty juvenile. He died on the cross for me. Forgive me my sins. Seems to be good. Seems to be kind, like little kids and like to heal sick people. And it's gonna start very juvenile and like head knowledge, but what will happen over time is you go, yeah, he, he saved me, but do you know how broken and dirty I am? 
Do you know how many sins he has to forgive me and how many times? He is full of long suffering. He is patient and kind. You start to see the character of God because you begin to start a relationship with God and you begin to watch as not only do you just have some head knowledge about him, but you kind of start wanting his desires to be your desires. And so if he did that for me, why shouldn't I do that for others? And if he leads out of love, why can't I lead out of love? And, and if he wants the best for me, why can't I walk with confidence? And you begin to watch as his spirits, what drives him, his desires, his ambitions, what he cares about, his intentions, begin to almost feel like they're yours. And you just begin to kind of love people. He didn't have to read a verse to encourage you. You just know I, that's my glory about him. It's what I, my thought, my view of who he is, and he's kind, and people spat on him and betrayed him, and he did nothing, he just loved him. He watches the spirit of God grows in your heart and becomes effortlessly to be led by him when the glory of who he is, your view and opinion of him grow, but that does not happen outside of relationship. Friends, the glory of God is so much greater than the glory of Sean Johnson. Sorry, Sean. The view and opinion that you could have of God is infinitely great in its magnitude. I, I just wonder if people go, I'm trying to do this whole read the Bible thing. I want to ask you why. I'm having a hard time reading my scripture. Why do you need to read it in the first place? What God's wanting to do, the scripture says that we go from glory to glory. We go from faith to faith. What does it do? Every time I sit down, I go, God, show me your glory. Show me who you are. Give me a different opinion and a different vision and a different view of who you are. But don't let it stop in my mind. Let it change me. Friends, if your goal is to tap into the infinite power and authority and fruit of God, and the only way that you can do that is by knowing him. I promise you, you'll read this thing. And it's the Spirit's job to illuminate this, and he's with you so you can tackle this. As I was reading this, I was just so reminded of a moment where there's a man by the name of Moses. He's found in the Old Testament. He was under tremendous pressure to lead God's people. He was the chosen man to lead God's chosen people. And he's like, I don't know how to do this. And he has this moment with God and he goes, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to leave from here. They've been abandoned. They've been doing circles. They feel stuck. But he goes, God, your, your presence is so important that if, if we leave and it doesn't go with, I'll stay here forever. And he has this moment where God goes, I will do what you have asked. And Moses goes, well, then God, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. He has this conversation in Exodus 33, verse 18. It says, then Moses said... Please show me your glory. And God said, I'll do that, but I will make my goodness pass before you. Can I make this really practical? If you're just going, I don't even know where to start. Can you start with this three-letter sentence? God is
God, I don't know how to handle this pressure, but I know you're good. God, I don't know how to find my way out of this situation that I got myself in, but I hear that you're good. Show me you're good. And you'll watch as God will walk with you and he will reaffirm certain things about who he is. And you'll start to realize he's not just good, but he's a good friend when you needed one. He's a good counselor when you didn't know what to do. He will give you wisdom when you lack it. He's a great teacher. He is a father for those of you that lack one. He's a healer for the broken. He's a good, good forgiver. And you'll start to realize I can't even exhaust it. Every time I fail, he meets me with forgiveness again. And what you'll see is just from the premise of God is good, your glory goes from glory to glory. And along the way, you'll start to see the Spirit working on your behalf. If you want to have some power in your life, you want to be led by the Spirit, and you want to bear His fruit, get to know the heart of God and watch what it produces naturally inside of you. The Apostle Paul, I finished my message with this two weeks ago. He said, listen, if you are led by the Spirit, it will lead you to life and to peace. Two of the most natural core desires and drivers of the human ambition. I want to have more life. I want to be more alive. And I want to have peace deep down inside of me that can't be taken away. He says, if you are then led by the Spirit, what it will produce in you is only life and more life, and it will produce the peace of God. This is what's so amazing. Throughout history, there have been moments where God has done miraculous things, and we've slapped a title on them called revivals. Anybody heard of revivals? or great awakenings, great moves of God. All that it's referring to is a moment in history where people from all walks of life began to come alive in the goodness of who God is. The gospel message, colliding with broken sinners, changing their lives forever, producing life on the inside, that is revival. Can I tell you that the cry of my heart recently has been, God, send revival. Awaken people to the goodness of who you are. Don't let, don't let people, God, live without your presence. Don't let them lead without your presence. Don't let them try to produce fruit without your presence. God, we need to be reawakened again to the significance of the fact that human beings could be divinely connected with the God of the universe because of what Jesus did and because he sent the Spirit to dwell inside of us. I now have the divinity of Christ, the fullness of who God is, dwelling inside of me. I wonder what that would do for your confidence, what it would do for your peace. I wonder how you'd love people differently, how patient you would become. I wonder if the fruits of the Spirit would just start bubbling out of you, separate and aside from your effort. That's my prayer this weekend. God, show us your glory and let your spirit begin to produce life and more life as we walk in this relationship with you. I want to give you three really practical ways that you can see the goodness of God develop in your life and then we're going to close. At all locations, would you stand to your feet? If you're going, what do I do next to just begin to see the goodness of God even more? It's a great question. Here's three ways I want to encourage you. 
you will see the goodness of God in God's presence, creating space to just go, God, I don't even know what I'm doing right now, but would you just encourage my heart today? Would you speak to me? Would you bring peace to my troubled heart? You're gonna see the goodness of God in God's word. I promise you, get into it. Start reading the gospels. I love the, the letters that the apostle Paul wrote. Read through some of Paul's epistles. Begin to see the goodness of God. And you're also gonna be redefining and refinding out the goodness of God by spending time with God's people. They're not all bad. Place yourself in situations like this and begin to see what God does and watch how he will motivate you. Watch how you effortlessly are led by his spirit because of your view and opinion of who he is in every single situation of your life. God, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, we pray this prayer now knowing it, what it means a little better. Show me your glory, God. God, enlarge my perspective of who you are. Let me see how good you are. And then no matter how deep into your goodness I find myself, there's more of it. I can't exhaust your goodness. I can't exhaust your love. God, reawaken us to that reality that human beings can walk in relationship with the God of the universe because of what Jesus Christ did. If you're in here this weekend watching online or in one of our locations and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you didn't know how good he was or what he's inviting you into, I just wanna to declare to you this weekend, Jesus Christ went to the cross because of you. There's a thing called sin that all of us have in our lives that separated us from the love and the relationship with God and his spirit. And Jesus went to remove every obstacle. He took your sin, past, present, and future. He took my sin, past, present, and future. He laid it on his back and he put it to death, dying its shame, dying with the death that would come from sin. And God said, I wanna to extend to you, if you will put your faith in what Jesus did, I wanna extend forgiveness to you. I want to give you a clean slate, a new start, let you think from a new mind, operate from a new mentality. And if that's you, you've never done that this weekend. I just want to encourage you at all of our locations, would you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift up your hand to identify what God's doing in your spirit? Just outwardly express it. God, your word says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead on our behalf, that's all we need to do to be saved. And so God, today is the day of salvation for people watching all over the city and around the globe. It's a new day. Today, you are a new creation. The old things have passed away. And today we celebrate your newness in Christ. God, I also wanna pray for every single person in here just going, I don't necessarily know how to start. God, I pray that the goodness of God, that statement that God is good, would be tattooed upon their minds and their hearts that as they go into the workplace, as they go into their families, God, as they go back to their dorm rooms and their apartments, God, would you speak to them and reinforce your goodness? And I pray that from your goodness, more glory, a greater view and opinion of you would develop. God, change us. We want to be led by your spirit. We want the power of your spirit in our life. And God, deep down on the inside, we know we want your, your spirit to produce fruit in our lives that we can on our own. God, we give you these things, we pray. God, and the, the, pray and the, the prayer and the cry of my heart is, Lord, send revival, send life and life to the full to our campuses, to our cities, 
to our watch parties, to cafeterias and office spaces around the globe today, we pray. And everybody at Red Rocks Church said, amen.